What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Danny Lopriori, and welcome to Off the Cuff. You might know me as the guy from the Basement Yard, Vine, the Lopriori podcast. And while I love to make people laugh, just know that I've struggled with my mental health for most of my life, just like many of you. Here on Off the Cuff, I will be talking with some of the most impactful influencers, athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and mental health experts to have real, unapologetic conversations about mental health and breaking the stigma that surrounds it. This show is for you, and I'm so happy to have you here. Now, let's talk Off the Cuff. Welcome back to Off the Cuff. I'm your host, Daniel Priori, and I am joined by actress Nika Graf Lanzaroni. We were discussing before we started, uh, we have obnoxious uh, Italian last names, so we have to say them very obnoxiously. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, always when in doubt, say all the vowels. You have to. You have to. At this point, you know, I I just been around. Do you say mozzarella? I, it depends on like kind of who I'm around, but not like regularly. You won't regularly say mozzarella, but if you're around Italian family, you're going to say mozzarella. Exactly. Yeah. That's how it works. But you're from LA. Yeah, born and raised. Born and raised in LA. See, if you were in New York, a lot more. When you're in New York, you got to say mozzarella. I mean, my entire family is from New York, just not me. Oh, yes. All right. Where in New York is your family from? My mom grew up in Belrose, Queens, and my father's from East New York, Brooklyn. There you go. Yeah. So you, you grew up with mozzarella, bruschetta, I'm sure, managut. Not so much that. I mean, there's also like a half breed. So the other half of me is Jewish and that's, oh. um, it's a whole other set of food pronunciation. That's okay. very important. No, 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 no. Listen, <laughs> listen, Jewish people have some amazing words. That is very true. It's a lot of flat used. It's a lot of schwas. <laughs> schwas. I grew up in a small village called Hastings on Hudson. Uh-huh. It has like a very, very Jewish community. For me, I always grew up with a lot of amazing Jewish people. Meshuggah was one of my favorite words growing up. It's got a good mouthfeel. Meshuggah. Some words just feel good. It's true. So the first question I wanted to ask was, how did you get into acting? I come by it very honestly. My entire family is in show business. So that's how. And I grew up in LA where, you know, the joke I always make is that like in school, it was like, oh, your mom's a doctor on what show? You know, LA is a really interesting place because like it's kind of a company town, even though it's like a giant city. So it was very much in the air at all times. But, you know, my grandfather was a group singer. So he's singing backups on like every song you've ever heard on the oldie station. Wow. And uh, was an arranger and a composer as well. And my father is a composer and my mom is an actress and a singer and cousins and uncles. And yeah, it's all of us. Let me tell you something that makes the, hey guys, I'm going to go into acting conversation at the dinner table a lot easier. Oh my God. So much easier because no one could tell me you couldn't make a living. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That is the hardest thing about just like being in show business and in entertainment is kind of explaining what you do for a living. I am so jealous that you were able to just be like, hey, guys, going to start acting. Like, oh, awesome. Finally. Although like I begged to be an actor as a child and my parents were like, absolutely not. Yeah, they've been in L.A. enough. I am the only dancer in my family. So that's like my own little way of like differentiating myself. You got to be a little bit different. Yeah, from everybody else. It's like, no, but I dance. So you danced more primarily as a child all the way up till now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I was like, they let you do something, a little bit of something. Yes. And I went to like a performing arts high school and I went to theater camp like every other. So what's performing arts high school like? Is everyone just like kind of just playing a character every day? Aren't we all just playing a character every day? No, I I didn't want to get that deep this early, but you are right. I'm terrible at small talk. I'm sorry. No, it's perfectly fine. Don't worry about it. Where'd you go to college? The Boston Conservatory. Wow. That's it. See, like the Boston Conservatory. It sounds so much fancier than it. Yeah, it sounds cool (laughs) as fuck. It really does. Uh, Performing arts college. Is it as hard to get in as like regular college or is it harder? I think it depends on I specifically 
was seeking out colleges that like weren't attached to the university so that I wouldn't also have to get into like school school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Those those are rough. There are definitely a lot of like BFA programs that you also have to get into the school part of the school and audition as well. It's too much for me. It's too much work. So you've done everything, obviously, just like, you know, you have credits in, in inventing Anna, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, but you've also done Broadway, obviously, as well. Which is harder, camera or Broadway? I can't speak to like all of the TV jobs I've worked have been like one day, you know, one day co-star kind of things. So like to me, those are incredibly easy because it's a lot of hurry up and wait. The kind of discipline that it takes to do like the run of a show is a very different muscle than doing the kind of TV stuff that I've done. I don't know what it's like to be number one on the call sheet and like that kind of responsibility that would come with that and having to learn things very quickly. But like, it's a different level of stamina, I think, to do theater because you have to be present all the time. Like you can't stop and say like, I need to try that again. Like you just have to sort of keep moving forward. And, you know, you're doing a lot of really difficult stuff sometimes, or you're flying or you're upside down or you're dancing, doing really hard things and partnering sometimes with people you haven't seen until you get on stage and you're like, oh, it's you today. Hi. Oh yeah, that's right. Cause a lot of people, they switch out the lead roles. Yeah. A lot of roles. Yeah. They have just people switching all the time. I always wanted to know, how the fuck do you guys change so fast? Dressers. There's teams of people back there. So you'll come off and like, oh, it's all right. I have to be out here in 30 seconds and there'll be like six people that change your clothes. There will be one person that changes your clothes. I was going to be like, can I hire these people? Because I hate changing clothes. If you're lucky. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, there have certainly been like shows I've done where there haven't been enough dressers. And so we have all had to like help each other out on those really fast changes and like get in a line and it's like zipping one another up um, and running. But like usually, so my favorite, I think my most favorite quick change of all time, I was doing a production of The Jungle Book. It was like a new interpretation of The Jungle Book and like it was very cool and arty. And But I played, I had like one character that showed up at the beginning and at the end and I was seven and a half feet. I was on stilts. I was seven and a half feet tall. I was a giant peacock. I know you were not expecting me to say that. Uh, so peacock on stilts with like a train, like a huge tail that was so heavy. Somebody had to like walk behind me and hold it up. I'm going to say like 12 seconds on a really good day to get out of that and into our, a completely different costume as a completely different animal for the finale. How the hell did you get down so fast? So they were like painter stilts. Hey, listen, seven feet, seven feet. Much easier. What happened, this is like the testament to like how brilliant wardrobe is and how they need to just give them all the money. So someone would have like a bar, like a counter height stool because I was the last person off stage. So I would barrel off stage and someone would be there to grab my hands so that I could then sit down on the stool and start to take off my stilts while somebody else was like pulling the skirt off of me and somebody else had like pants pulled on the floor so that I could like dive right into them and then like into the top. So yeah, yeah. all of that happened. So, but truly barreling off stage into the darkness and holding, like hoping someone was there to catch me so that I could fall on my stool. What were you changing into? Because it's hard to beat a, a peacock on stilts. Into a monkey costume? All right, that works. I'll take that. That works. It's like that a works. full head. Bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. So obviously, you know, what we talk about on this show is mental health. My wonderful producer, uh, Sam, obviously sends me some notes on the back. So you struggle with depression. So many things. Depression with anxiety. And I um, had recently been diagnosed with ADHD about a year and change ago. Oh, wow. So yeah, so late. Yeah. Yeah. So there's also like a certain amount of grieving that comes with that, that you're like, oh, so it didn't have to be like this my whole life. Cool. So when you got your diagnosis, so I'm bipolar, I'm bipolar type two. So when I got my diagnosis, it was kind of like a, like a enlightening experience for me. Like as like, you know, what we talk about a lot on the show are the stigmas of mental health, right? How a lot of things are just like, you know, oh, you're bipolar. So you're a maniac, crazy person. Like, oh, you're depressed. So you're fucking sad all the time. We're trying to get rid of these stigmas and talk to people all walks of life. 
have these, you know, amazing stories. For you, when you were diagnosed ADHD, did you have like a clarity moment where you were kind of just like, oh, like, all right, that makes a lot of sense. I can't remember like how I stumbled upon some sort of like quiz for... I had stumbled upon an article about how ADHD is often not diagnosed in women until they're like in their 30s. So... And I had been reading about this and I was reading through this article and I was like, wait a minute, I have all of these things. And then that led to some sort of quiz through like, I think, Attitude magazine. And I took that like quiz because, you know, it's an online quiz. They're fun. They're the best. Like scored so fully off the charts for like an in for the inattentive type of ADHD, which I did not know was a thing. And so I brought that to my psychiatrist and was like, is this a thing maybe? And she was like, it might be a thing. Go read this book. When you are done reading this book, come back to me. And that book was called, I think, Women with ADD because it was before all of those things had been switched over to ADHD. And it took me a really long time to read it because I would have to like put it down and yeah. like cry. And then I would be able to pick it back up and was like, I guess I have to highlight the whole thing. When you were reading it, you were actually having these like epiphany type moments. Yeah. Epiphany type moments and understanding like how depression and certain types of anxiety are like comorbid with ADHD and how all of it, you know, everything springs from like complex trauma. And, you know, if you've ever read The Body Keeps the Score, like it's all of that stuff that like lives in you cellularly, even yes. if you're not necessarily aware of what's happening. Absolutely. That fight or flight will get you. Oh my God. The fight or flight will get you. It's the worst. It's the worst? I'm a freezer. You're a freezer? Oh my God. I'm a runner. I'm a flighter. Big time. Big time flight boy. That's going on an X-T-shirt. Yeah, big time flight boy. That's what it is. When you hear ADHD, you don't really tie in depression and anxiety immediately, right? You just think like, oh, this person is just a hyper fucking person. You think of like an eight-year-old boy. Yes. And like specifically like an eight-year-old white boy who was studied... And it never occurred to anyone that like these things would present differently in different types of people. And maybe we should look into some of those things as well. Is there a difference between how it affects women and men? Yeah, I think because there's a, like the inattentive type of ADHD. And what is that exactly? It's much easier to mask. Oh, okay. So that's why it doesn't usually get diagnosed until much later in life. And inattentive type is that you are not necessarily super hyper. So no one thinks of it as ADHD. But what it is is like the inability it's the same like inability to focus. It's the same brain fog. It's the same like odd internal shame of like, why can't I just do the things? Except those manifesting themselves in like crushing ways where you're like, it's just the, you know, a self-perpetuating cycle of like, why can't I just do the things? It's because you're a terrible person. Why am I terrible? And then you just go on forever and then it's two years later. And yeah, I mean, I can look up some more of those things. So like for you, obviously you have to have an immense mental strength when it comes to anything performance. When you started acting, was it hard for you to pay attention when you started acting? I feel like entertainers, we have this weird pocket where we go into like where like we don't have stuff for like 20 minutes and then the rest of our life is just horrible. It's just like, no, no, like I can memorize this and I can be a peacock and a monkey. But right after this might have like a rough time at home. Yeah, it's it's post-show crash, which is also great that that's another thing you don't have to explain to your family that they're like, why are you terrible right now? Post-show crash. Okay. Oh, okay. That sounds awesome. Oh, the acceptance of your family. Most of it is totally awesome. Does anyone in your family have any kind of ADHD as well? Uh, just in terms of like being able to See, with me having somebody with depression in my family, like my brother has it, I have it, it makes conversations easier. It was easy for me to relate because I had people like in my family, like how your family could re like relate on entertainment. We could relate on like depression. Totally. Yeah. So, you know, like we could, we could have a nice depression conversation at the table. There are certainly people in my family, not necessarily in like my nuclear family who it's much easier to have those conversations with. My mother and I will try to have conversations about it. And like, she is so very into the like wanting to understand thing rather than like, no, we're just going to sit with it. Like, can we just sit with it? And like the thing, I don't know, the thing that I always 
in my own kind of like stigma breaking universe, it's that like, I want people to understand that when you have depression, it does not always mean that you are in a depressive state. It is just a thing. It is a thing the same way that any other thing is part of you. Yes. Especially too, like, it's hard to explain to people that obviously, you know, they talk to you and they want to understand, but it it is hard to explain. Like, it, it just comes and goes. But with ADHD, that's a daily battle for you? Yeah. I don't know. This happened like fairly recently because I also wasn't medicated properly. You know, I was on an antidepressant for several, like, and that was still sort of a newish thing before I was like, I think it might also be this thing. The first time I was in a rehearsal properly medicated, I have so much more brain space because I'm not just sitting here berating myself. Oh, wow. I can just take in the information and recall the information. So how were you doing it before? It's just that much harder. You get it done and you figure out your own scaffolding and you're and then there's still a lot of scaffolding that I have to put up around me and a lot of extra work that I have to do to get myself to zero. It was a combination of like incandescent rage that this is how it's been like for other people like their whole life. So you can just take in the information and then recall the information. Yeah, you're like that's a thing. And it's not like 17 steps of an internal battle before you can like get a single word out in a conversation like what and also then like great relief that like oh maybe i'm not the actual worst person that's ever been a person in the world that's another thing too is before we get to like these spaces of like enlightenment right that we get the advocate and try and help people we all have these internal battles that we have with ourselves and i remember with me it was like I take medication and, uh, you know, I I always say on here, it's like to each their own, whatever works for you, works for you. When I started taking medication for my panic disorder, I was like, oh, so this is like not being afraid to go to the bathroom by yourself. This is really nice. Yeah. Like you said, you feel this rage of being like, oh my gosh, like I'm so mad. And then you have this one feeling where you're just like, you know what? My brain is like killing it right now. Absolutely. When I first started taking an antidepressant, my husband was like, you know, the little cloud, it's still there. It's just a little farther away from you. Yeah, which is great. I'll take overcast over cloudy like any day when it comes to my depression. Give me overcast any day. It diffuses the light so nicely. Oh, it's great nap weather. It's the best. Great nap weather. Great nap weather. I love it. When you're on stage and this is your pre-diagnosis, right? I always try to see when I go to shows, I love Broadway, by the way. It's like one of my favorite things in the world. Yeah. But like when I when I go to Broadway shows, I always try to see like if I could catch actors in the moment where they kind of come out of character just to be human. You know what I mean? Because it's like, you know, I'm going to look around a room. You know, I know they tell them just stare in the back and don't look at anybody. But sometimes you have to look at people during the show. Have you ever just been like, oh, I completely forgot I was on stage? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Or if people in the audience are like doing shitty things and you're like, every time anybody's recording something, you're like, we can absolutely see you. If you are doing like, we can all see you do the things like no one is as in the dark as you think you are on stage. That's the amazing thing that you guys do, though, is because you make it feel like you guys aren't seeing shit. And then you're just like waiting until you can run off stage and find a stage manager to be like, can someone ask the person who's recording to stop recording? So there's a lot of like balancing those things and having to like, exist both outside and inside yourself at the same time. But there are times where I've been like so mad at someone in the audience that I've been like, you know what? Do your job. <laughs> Stop. Just do your job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, what's the hardest show you, you've ever been a part of mentally, physically? Jungle Books fucking sounded rough. That was like a different kind of hard. Anytime you're doing a new musical, I can't remember whose quote it is. Oh, God. And I should text somebody who I absolutely know whose quote it is. So maybe until I can find it, don't use it. But the quote is basically like, I don't know where Hitler is, but wherever he is, I hope he's out of town with a new musical. (laughs) Because musicals are hard. Listen, that's a good one. And whoever you find it out, I'm going to take it. I'm going to borrow it. but But I will give credit. Lovingly, lovingly yoinked. That's all of this. Meant, I know this is going to sound like very cliche, but mentally the hardest show that I've done was Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, not just because of the title, but because that was my Broadway debut. 
that was the first time like in the real world I had ever played a principal role. So like I didn't, you know, it's like I sing and I dance and I like I do the things and um I'm very happy in the ensemble and this was like a huge and very public way to like try to figure those things out. See, people think like acting's easy, right? People think like, you know, it's just this thing, it's this glamorous job where you just go and do like, you know, I'm just going to go pretend to be another person. I feel like in entertainment, there's also this stigma where like we all have problems. You know what I mean? And like, listen, and I just do like comedy and podcasting. So it's like, you know, like I don't have to pretend to be anybody else. I'm just me. Like I'm just an idiot for a living, which is great. So great. But how often do you take your work home with you? Because that's like some of the hardest stuff. Because you never, when you're doing a show, you never really stop doing the show. It depends on what is happening. Like everything you're doing sort of in your day, depending on how hard your show is, is going to be in service of doing the show. So like, you know, maybe it's not going to whatever it is afterwards if you have a two-show day the next day. Or maybe it's like making sure that you are taking, you know, that you are doing some sort of other exercise regularly, that you are actually doing the PT exercises that they have given you, that you are warming up vocally, like that you are doing all of the things in service of doing your job. It also just depends on how hard your show is. If you don't have a super hard show and you know exactly what you need to do to get warm, there's nothing emotionally overwhelming that you need like to come up with those kind of grounding exercises to get you out of it so that you can go home. I just wish I had like the mental stamina. Like every time I leave a show, I'm like, oh shit, they have to do this in like two hours again. That's crazy to me. But like if you knew that that's what you had to do, you'd figure it out. I know, but it's so wild. Like I remember one time I went to see like a matinee of Wicked and I was like, they have to do the same thing two hours from now. I was like, that is insane. It is. It's a little insane. I could barely do my laundry. Like, you know, so it's like to hear like, hey, you guys are going to sing these amazing songs and do all this amazing dancing and acting. And then you're going to do it for me and then do it for a complete other room of strangers after this. Like, what is what are you guys on? And on a rake. Yeah. Which is unbelievable. Which is very hard. I have to ask you, what's your favorite Broadway show? I'm probably going to say a chorus line. (laughs) That's it. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, The reason I brought up Wicked, though, I don't know if you've seen Wicked on Broadway. I mean, not in a very, very long time, but... Wicked slaps. <laughs> that's also going on. A, that's at least a bumper sticker. A wicked slaps hard. I fuck with Wicked big time. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, God, and that's another thing that we're going to break the stigma. Cisgender males, we like Broadway, okay? It's for everybody. It's for everybody. Broadway is the most inclusive entertainment there is. I don't care what anybody says. All right. They have something for everybody. Hey, you love dancing? We got that. You love acting? We got that shit too. Oh, you want to see us dance? We're going to dance our ass off. What's the hardest thing that came to you naturally? Dancing, acting, singing? I think dancing. You know, there's only ever a certain amount of like natural facility that anyone can have before you need to have technique that kicks in to like make you actually good at using the natural facility you have. The thing that I love the most about dancing is that like I, taking it back to mental health, I have such a problem finding words for things in a timely manner and coming up with what it is I'm trying to say in the amount of time that I know that like people have before they start to check out of a conversation. Or I just completely dissociate. And then when I come back to earth, I'm like, I don't know what I just said. I guess I'll hear it later. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those blackout moments are, are the worst. Or like I meet people and then I'm like, I think I met you. I don't know. And I'm sorry because I have no memory. And you're like, I was talking for so long. It's the most embarrassing feeling. I mean, and I try to like, and I'm always like, I think I've talked for too long. And someone's like, you you haven't actually said anything. Yeah. But odds are you crushed it. Odds are you crushed it. However, when you're dancing, you don't have to deal with any of that. All you have to do is say whatever it is you're trying to say. And you don't have to talk. And that's very nice. I just hate people that are just naturally good at dancing. I can't stand that shit. First of all, how are you so limber naturally? And then it's like, also, like, you've, like, done no choreography. You're just coming in this club and dancing your ass off. I'm very jealous. That I also can't, like, that I'm terrible at. Like, club dancing? 
Oh yeah. I'm like, if no one has told me what to do, I don't know what to do. I'm rudderless. See, I always ask that too, is for me, everybody says like, oh, like you're very social. Like what you do is like a social thing. It's very hard for me to be social. Like the idea of going to a club terrifies me. Same. You know, like even sometimes like, uh, I don't know like how bad your anxiety is and how bad your panic is, but yeah, it's up there. Not great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. me too. (laughs) Doing normal things like going to like, I have a hard time going to, you know, going food shopping. Like I always say, like I've said a bunch of times on this show, but like my panic is uh, mostly like health panic. So it's health anxiety. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. You are. Yes. So my health panic is uh, I jump the shark immediately to I'm dying and or having a stroke or having a heart attack or I'm having an aneurysm. So like that's uh, that's where my health anxiety is. So if I'm walking throughout a, a supermarket and my fight or flight starts to be super active, I'm thinking that since my heart is beating faster, I'm having a heart attack or my fingers get tingly. Now I'm having a stroke. So in my mind, I've had 408,000 heart attacks and I've survived 300,000 strokes every day. I'm the greatest person on earth, apparently. Basically. So for me, getting over that is still one of the hardest things for me to do to this day. So like before I was diagnosed with panic disorder and anxiety, like I went to the ER like 15 nights in a row. Oh God. Yeah. And just got like EKGs and brain scans and all this stuff. And they're like, this kid's back here again. Like what's going on? But thankfully, like I said, when I got diagnosed, so many things made sense. Yeah. It was just a a point where I'm like, all right, like I I don't have to keep beating myself up because people really don't understand until you get diagnosed, after you get diagnosed, it's just as tough, but it's so much worse when you have no idea what's fucking going on with you. It's like either everybody cannot be feeling this way or does everybody feel this way and I just don't know how to handle it? The internal struggle, like uh, I talk to myself constantly. Constantly. I mean, I'm also an only child, so it's fine. Oh, um, uh, yeah. So you, like- have, you have made up friends and everything. Well, not anymore. When I was like a child at the same time that everyone has an imaginary friend when they're little. Yeah, but when you're an only child, that imaginary friend slaps different. 100%. That's all you have. Yeah. Yeah, I am I'm like amazed at people who don't just like yell at themselves in their heads all day long. I'm like, what do you do? Like, is it so quiet in your house? Do you talk out loud to yourself? It's my favorite thing to do. Oh yeah, I am. I berate myself out loud, though it's not. Yeah, it's I do that right. too. Yeah, I'm a little mean to myself. I'm kind of a dick no. to myself, 100. So yeah. But for me, it's almost more therapeutic if I say it out loud than if I just leave it in my head because now it's like I, I like to hear it in my own voice. Like I don't think in my own voice. Whose voice are you thinking? I don't. It's like kind of like a mixture between like John Ham and like. It used to be like Morgan Marlon Freeman, Brando. Like yeah, Morgan Freeman. Like, you know, it was Marlon Brando for a little bit. Now, like, now I'm just like switching it a little bit now. But for me, I have to say it out loud because it honestly helps me get tasks done. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm like, you have to do laundry today. And then I'm like, oh, you're right. Thank you. I will do laundry today. I really do have to do laundry today. Yes. It's the hardest part are the minimal things. Oh, yeah, of course. You know, I'm not sure if you deal with that too, but the hardest things for me are small things. Small things that like don't benefit anybody else. Yeah. It's like little shit. But it's like nobody else needs this but you. So you can wait. It's fine. That's a perfect example. When that type of stuff happens, it's very difficult for me. I wanted to ask you too, have you ever had to like call out of a show? Because I know like the show must go on, right? Except that we are desperately trying to change that culture. I'm um, an elected official in my union also, and part of like a grassroots progressive organization that is like so much of that is like, like, but why? It is a toxic mentality. If we're going to ignore people's legitimate, serious issues for entertainment, that's a big sacrifice for people. Right. And what it also is, it takes the onus off the employer to provide enough coverage and puts the onus on the worker to push through something that's not healthy for them. See, that's very interesting because now that I think about it too, it's 
it has to be such a fallback, like a, a safety word to be like, hey, listen, I know that you're going through something, but the show must go on. Listen, if I'm having a panic attack, I don't know if the show's going to go on. I'm taking my ass home. And if something really is like terribly going wrong, then the chain reaction of safety, especially in a big show like that, it then becomes unsafe for all kinds of people. And there is so much life-threatening shit happening in a theater at any given time that like, do you want to be responsible for dropping someone on their head? Do you want to be dropped on your head? Do you want to miss whatever entrance? And then that sort of causes a backlog of whatever else is happening. And then other people have to cover for you. And then like, it puts nobody in a good situation when stuff like that happens. Like, what are you guys working towards in terms of how do we change this mindset of like, Hey, listen, we have to do this show three times today, but like these people are burnt out. Like we're just going to push them to the limit. Like, like how do we change that? I mean, I guess that's like the larger conversation that we're having about labor in this country. And that's why like, I'm so excited about this groundswell of organizing that's been happening with Starbucks. And now that the Amazon warehouses voted and like, I love that they did that. All of, you know, I'm so excited for them. And if anything has like come into sort of clear relief is like, why? Why does it have to be? It doesn't have to be this way. Who said it had to be this way? And why did we just like accept that? Everyone fell in line. We were like, oh yeah, no, because that's what everybody does. I was like, nobody knew what anxiety was 300 years ago. Jews did. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I can't argue that one. I can't. No, you can't. You, I also heard you say you live on the Upper West Side. So uh, Yeah, listen, there's a lot of anxiety. And there's a lot of juice. So it goes hand in hand. I fit right in. I was like, I'm anxious. They were like, oh, come in. I was like, all right, great. Love it. Fantastic. Yeah. That was like, you guys are super accepting. They're like, we've known about this, buddy. All right. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> oh, God. This You're an honorary so... member of the tribe. So I'm like, all welcome. Right, thank you. Yeah. Welcome aboard. Yes. I feel like so much of the early pandemic when everyone was like freaking out about all of these things and then sunk into this depression. And I was like, yes, everyone. Yeah. Welcome. Yeah, come Hi. on. Oh, you guys, yeah, now you can see what it's like. I'm so sorry that you are also feeling this way. I had so many friends that were just like, I just don't like understand anxiety. And then like COVID happened and it's like, yeah, like I have like therapy today. I'm like, yeah, dude, told you. And you're like, good, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. I was like, instead of me being mean, I'm going to welcome you in. I'm going to welcome you to my world. So I always wanted to, to ask somebody that does Broadway full time. Real deal. Big time. Real. Real deal. Are you guys performing through like injury like a lot of the time, whether it be mental or just like physical? Because you guys look so damn happy all the time. But I'm like, there's no way this person's feet are like normal right now. Yeah. There's always, I mean, there's always something going on. It's too much. What's up with you guys? You guys are doing too much. And then you throw ADHD on there. And depression. And anxiety. I could barely text my mom back. How am I supposed to do a show? But the thing is, is that like, Sometimes, if especially if it's like a repetitive strain injury, yes, that gets kind of distracting on stage. But also, you know, they call it Dr. Footlights. Like you get on stage and like it all magically like goes away. And a lot of that's, I'm sure, just adrenaline. But like I get a break from having to be myself and like deal with my shit for two and a half hours. Like I get a break from me. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's the greatest gift. Before it was professional, it was an escape for you. Yeah, of course. And it still is. It absolutely still is. I think like a lot of people too would benefit from hearing that too. It's okay to find things to forget about stuff for a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's not necessarily running. Like we deal with our own shit every day, but to find something that you can kind of lose yourself in and have an amazing time at while you're doing it. It's like, this is type of therapy that they can't really teach you when you go to therapy all the time. You know, I've had therapists tell me like, oh, like find hobbies. But then it's just like, no, I need to really find something that I can immerse myself into. Once you get to that level where you're just immersed, it becomes a lot easier to kind of, you know, that becomes something where you kind of can learn coping mechanisms. Like that was the hardest thing for me to learn. Like my therapy wasn't so much like, oh, like, yeah, like my dad, like could have like hung out with me more. It was more like, how do I deal with the science of like what's going on with me? Totally. And that was the thing. And then, you know, I can't stress enough how important 
and how happy I am that COVID's done and people are back acting. I mean, I'm not going to say COVID's done because it's very much not done. It's not. It's just, uh, you know, it's we're in, between variants, as I call it now. Yeah, except that, yeah. <sighs> I'm supposed to start rehearsal for a show sort of the end of May. And I'm like, well, I really hope it's okay to do that. Yeah, I just uh, booked a wedding a, a year out. So I'm like, yeah, we'll see if this is even like a thing in a year from now. Yeah, so I'm getting married in Spain. Congrats. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm getting married in Mallorca. That's so lovely. Yeah, we'll see if we're allowed in the country, though, in like a year from now. They shut down Broadway. What the hell do you do? I was already unemployed, so I just uh, soldiered on. Um, That's what people don't understand, though, too. It's like once the show's done, it's like, oh, I don't have a job. Then I go on unemployment and I got my yoga teacher certification because I was like, time's going to pass anyway, so I might as well do something. So I was doing that and, you know, building websites for people. And, you know, it's like you cobble together like a weird laundry list of skills. Oh, yeah. Especially in New York. That somehow like you're like, yeah, I guess I do all these things. Yeah. New York, you have to have 11 jobs. Yeah. So did you see like an uptick like in your depression or anxiety? Like we joked about like welcoming people in. But we're like, were you already like braced for the storm? I think I was a little braced. See, there are some people that kind of flourished during this thing. I'm not going to say that I have flourished, but I am. Oh, my brother has agoraphobia. He was he, he was like uh, the best version of himself. He was like, I can't go outside. <laughs> not just I can't go outside, but like I can't go outside. As soon as the vaccine came out, he was like, damn it. He's like, science got me now. My brother was flourishing. My brother plays video games for a living. He plays uh, video games on Twitch. Uh, which is like, a, I don't know if you're familiar with Twitch, but he's like, I just crush it. And he just lives his life doing that. But now we've talked about it too. We're trying to get him more adapt, uh, adapted to the, to the earth. So, you know, he's put in the work and he's getting better. My brother, Michael, he's a great guy. Yay, Michael. Michael's doing his thing. But for me, entertainment wise, it was tough. But what I do is I work from home. How did you like keep your skills sharp? Were you just like dancing around your kitchen and shit? It was just a lot of yoga right there in the one spot that that can happen. Was your husband working at the time? He's been working in person the whole time. So it was more like I couldn't think about myself because like the very, you know, if you remember the very beginning and like nobody knew what was happening and everybody just went inside and it was like for people who stayed in the city, like toilet paper was like $38. But like also the quiet for the first time in my life, like hearing quiet, but he, you know, he had been on the train. He was commuting to work on the train. He was working and veterinary medicine. I always say is like very similar to show business in a lot of really odd ways in that, like the biggest similarity is that you have to be in the building to do your job. Like you can't just work from home that day. Yeah. And you have to work when people are available to come see you. And like your schedule is your schedule. Like those things are really fundamental to both what he does and both what and what I do. But I was just like so scared that he was like leaving the house every day and no one knew what was happening and the air is poison. Maybe the air is poison, like, or are all the surfaces poison? Like something is going on. Uh, so I was mostly just. Did he ever get it? He just tested positive on Tuesday. On Tuesday. Two years. Sucks. How's he feeling? He's feeling crummy. He's in Connecticut. He's just like quarantining. Yeah. So you're just there alone. Just, well, you, well, you got Yuri though, which is good. So I know that you advocate, uh, you know, obviously for labor. Uh, so this is, correct me if I'm saying, if I'm saying this right. Actors Equity Association, right? Yes. Okay. So that is what you're working on with labor. In terms of that, do you, are you guys covering like physical and mental health at the same time? I mean, equity is a labor union, so it's not necessarily like legally a union cannot manage its own health and pension funds. Oh, I never, I didn't know that. Yeah, like that's a Jimmy Hoffa thing. Like that's the reason that those things are, are separated. And what a labor, the sort of main things that a labor union does are like negotiate contracts, enforce the contracts that are in play and organize new work. Ah, uh, okay. So that's what's happening. And there are definitely initiatives within the union and within sort of other nonprofits like the Actors Fund and the 
Actors' Equity Foundation, which is like a separate nonprofit arm. Oh God, who else? There's a lot of other people. Uh, Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS. Like there are a lot of sort of entertainment-based nonprofits and the Actors Fund, especially like if you have not availed yourself of the services of the Actors Fund, it is for everyone in entertainment. If you are in entertainment and you need something, call them. Wow. They will figure it out. Like they are unbelievable. They have a really great matching program for therapists and they will do intake on you and they will match you with someone based on what you need and based on what you can afford. So that's that's a really great resource. Are you sagged up? I am sagged up. I got my sag card from a Jolly Rancher commercial. Ice. Yeah. I got my sag card from a Fiat commercial that I was cut out of. Hey, listen, they ain't can cut you out of sag. I'll tell you that. Nothing wrong with that. Where do you like living more? LA, which is obviously home, but New York's your home now. Where do you like more? LA, New York. I have only ever wanted to live in New York. That was the dream. I love it the most. Yeah. I always tell people, you're not a real New Yorker unless you kind of fucking hate this place. I mean... You have to hate it a little bit. It's a love-hate. Like You have to wake up in the morning and be like, I hate this place. Like If you sort of think too hard about the outlandishness of what it takes to live here, then it's like, what the fuck am I doing? You have to bust your ass to be like broke. Basically. Yeah. It's like, hey, what's up? I'm going to work really hard to like make six figures and like barely be able to afford my apartment. That's New York, baby. That's how it is. I don't know. There are like many Twitter threads that go on about this, but basically the most recent one of these is that like New Yorkers are kind, but not nice. And Angelinos are nice, but not kind. And the thing that's like so great about it, about New York is that like, Everyone realizes that like we have all made this same outlandish decision to be here together. Yep. So like I hate you, but if you need the shirt off my back, you can have it. Yeah. Just don't bother me on the train. Just don't bother me on the train. Unless, of course, you are having a medical emergency and you've never seen so many people snap to action in your life. Look, if there's any city where I want something like for me to faint, I know New York on the subway. <laughs> oh, they're gonna come together and like carry me to like Lenox Hill Hospital. Like they're gonna be great. Yeah, they're gonna be like, exactly. yeah, like, oh yeah, like we took care of you. Don't worry about it. Yeah, New York's very hot and cold. It's either like we're gonna all gonna try and kill you at the same time, or we're gonna save your life. It's one or the other. That's just what it is. Yeah. I have a couple more questions. These are kind of like rapid fire ones. All right. Okay. Rapid fire ones. Greece or Chicago. Chicago to be in, but with thanks to Greece, because that's why I'm here on this planet. There you go. Have you ever heard like the theories on Greece, like the ending? I have. I will tell you that. Why do we have to make everything depressing? So people that don't know. All right. So the ending of Greece is they take off in the car into the sky. Greece the movie. But this is Greece the movie. This is Greece the movie is they take off into the sky in this car. Right. And everyone's like, oh, they're waving goodbye. And then somebody had to say that she died. And this is a dream. And I'm like, listen, I would love to take off in a car with Danny too. But they really, they, it's just the end of a movie. We, not everything has to be so sad. Not everything has to be so sad. Okay. Singing or dancing? I guess dancing. Okay. Acting or singing? You cannot separate them. I know. If you're doing it right, you can't separate them. See, that's spoken like a true professional. There we go. That's a tie. I have a note here too that you said that you don't like promoting your work. I'm just super shy. So what what are you shy about exactly? Just being like, hey, I have a show tonight at seven. That's like part of my very deep-seated, this is part of the like deep-seated social anxiety. Most of my anxiety, like most of my anxiety comes out in the social anxiety sphere in that like, I am just always terrified that everybody hates me all the time. And like, I will come up with a laundry list of reasons. Like, here are all the reasons why everyone hates me. Like, here is, and here is the empirical evidence that, supports all of this like the meme of the guy at the table <laughs> um, <laughs> you hate me prove me wrong yeah those are some of my favorite memes but no so it's like you have like an internal battle with yourself in terms of like just wanting to be like hey guys i have a show yeah absolutely because then it's like oh my god i'm annoying and then like and then also if i do the thing and then what if i am bad and i've wasted people's time and then if i am like oh my god who does she think she is that she is like talking about herself in the first place and like oh yeah that's it's all 
Do you think you've gotten better with that? Or do you think it's just like, it's just who you are? I think it's just who I am. I think I'm always going to battle it. I think you can get over that. I think, I think in certain, in certain aspects of life, right? Here's why. As a fellow anxious person, certified panic disorder, bipolar two flight boy, what I had to do was for me, just, I had to expose myself to a lot of shit that I fucking hated going into stores. Uh, by myself driving. I had to pretty much learn how to drive again. Like I, I couldn't drive. I was so claustrophobic and I would pull over like every three blocks. I couldn't drive. I used to love to ride like scoot- anything with two wheels. I love riding motorcycles, scooters, whatever. I couldn't do that. So what I did was I started going to like public gatherings, like um, whether it be a show, whether it just be a, a sporting event, I had to make myself included in these things where I didn't have control over everything that was going on. And I had to learn a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy, which taught me a lot about coping with certain things. So it's all about, for me, if it's something that I want to get better at, I try to work as hard as I can on it. Is that something that you want to get better at? Or you're just like, I don't give a shit. I think I would like to keep a very healthy sense of my own self-awareness without necessarily letting it spiral into just me just doing nothing and saying nothing and then feeling like kind of rumpy about it. I'm very jealous of no shame people. Oh my God. Is your life amazing? When I see just like people just going for it, like TikToks on like the six train, I'm like, you know what? Go for it. Like, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. When I was younger, I would be like, Who's this fucking loser? But now I'm like, you know what? I wish that I had the power to not give a shit. Like how you not give a shit right now. I just don't have it. Can you bottle that? Yeah, I wish they could. I wish they could. So you're married. How long have you been married? Seven and change years. So when you got diagnosed in the last year and a half, did that change your relationship at all? Not really. It wasn't necessarily like a brand new diagnosis. It was like confirmation of things that right. uh, that I had already been thinking. Like you ran home excited kind of. Yeah. And like I had already been diagnosed with like major depressive disorder and like all of this stuff. So this is all stuff that we deal with together all the time. So it was more like exciting. Yeah. No, that I, I was too. I, I'm telling, I'm telling you, I was so excited when I finally was able to put like a finger on what was going on with me. Do you guys ever do couples counseling? We don't, but not for like, because we don't believe in it reasons. I think it's just like, no, no, no. It's just, it hasn't appeared. Yeah. I've, I've done couples counseling. Also slaps. Yeah. That's, I mean, I think I'm the only one of my friends who don't. Well, that's the thing. The stigma is like, oh my God, they're in counseling. Their marriage is terrible. No, it's best to do it when you don't have problems. Because the communication is so important. The older I get, I'm 33 now. So I'm like, I wish that I learned how to communicate with a partner 10 years ago. I just didn't have the facilities to do it. Now that I do, it's you really start to enlighten yourself about a lot of things. Our words carry a lot of weight in relationships. Yep. I don't know about you. I could say some wild shit just because that's just who I am. It's an Italian problem that I've been trying to get over. You have it too? I have a select few people who can hear it. Otherwise, I try to be diplomatic. That's the other thing too, is that with everybody else, we're nice, but there's like three people who are like, who get the wrath. How has your relationship changed, if not at all, since your diagnosis? Not really. I mean, the thing that's amazing, and I don't know if you have found this, the thing that's amazing about having a partner, you know, my husband and I have been together we were together for seven years before we got married and now we have been married for seven years. Like to be with somebody for that long, you get a really good like gut check thing because you live in your own body every single day. You can't really tell what's different. And the thing that's really tricky about like medication is working because it doesn't feel like anything's happening. Like that's how you know it's working. So having somebody else there who sees you every day and sees you not in your like on for other people mode is the person who can say like, yes, I think this is different. Yes, this is working. This is what's like 
you get a really good sort of barometer of what's happening. Yeah. Like my fiance would just be like, yo, you're manic right now. I'm just like, oh yeah. Oh shit. I'm like, oh yeah. Sorry about that. She's like, no, it's not sorry. I'm just letting you know. Yeah. I'm just keeping you in the loop. You're being a nightmare. You're being a nightmare of a person, sir. So we're going to have to figure this out. Sir. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, sir, you need to calm down and you need to go for a walk. How do you find the ambition to do what you do dealing with what you deal with? I love it so much. I just love doing it. I wish I loved other things as much. So it wouldn't always feel like a tiny part of me was like hollow. Yeah, no, trust me. I know that feeling. It's like every now and then, you know, it's like I hadn't worked for a really long time before I booked the show that I booked right during the shutdown and then hadn't, you know, it's like I have gone through really long periods of time unemployed where I'm like, what am I doing? Like, clearly nobody wants me. So like I should figure out something else to do. And then it's like, but I love it. <clears throat> Are you like a schedule oriented person? Oh yeah. Like my scaffolding is that like, I have to be that kind of obsessive about the calendar and the things in it and the color coding and the, what is it? So that I am not just like wandering around in circles, like wondering where my pants are. Like <laughs> I just got a task calendar and it's changed my life in like four days. I've been more productive in the last four days than I've been in like 13 years. Congratulations. Because of a a dry erase calendar. It really works. I'm letting you people know. Write stuff down. It works. I never believed it. And people are like, oh, like have like a little bit of a vision board. I was like, "Eh." do that too. But also like my Google calendar, like I can't function without it. No. And the way that I color code things so that I know exactly like what parts of my life have things to do in them. So I know like who I have to be that day. 100%. It's very strange how the power of like just actually seeing it is a big deal. So you said a lot of preparation just obviously goes into what you do. Have you ever had moments where you felt like you had to step back from acting? I have not felt that. But acting has certainly had moments where it felt like it needed to step (laughs) away from me. Let me tell you something. For somebody who says they, they have social anxiety, you're a pretty funny person. I don't think you give yourself enough credit. Oh, hey, thanks. Uh, I like comedy. That's also part of it. It's like, I would love to do comedy, but the idea of having to like go on stage and be myself is like horrifying. Oh, you should do it. It's horrifying. You should do it. But let me tell you something. There's no other experience like it in the world. Man, getting a lot la- and like knowing that the laugh you got was like for something you wrote. You know, I've done a couple of my own solo shows and like yeah. those laughs are the most gratifying. It's the most gratifying experience. Doing a solo show. Obviously, that's terrifying too, though. Oh, fully dissociate. <laughs> I don't think I could do that because you got to like kind of get serious at certain points. You know what I mean? And then it's like, I'll throw in some comedy there. And it's like, do I have a catch with myself on stage? Like what, like what's going through your head? Like when you're writing something like that, because that's like the stuff that where you just, I feel like you just empty your soul into that shit. A little bit. It helps to have a theme. It's basically like you're making a mixed, you're making a mixtape and you are thinking about it in an overarching thing. Like what is the, the, the last solo show I did was like five years ago, but I called it hero worship and I wanted it to be like, I have a lot of really wildly disparate references that are equally important to me and people who you're like, why, why is Victor Borga so important to you? And also like, why does Wonderwall have meaning for you? Like, so being able to like do all of those things as like a gift to who cares? It's me. Like this is my show. First of all, if Wonderwall doesn't mean anything to you, I'm worried about you. Very worried. Okay. So my friend Robbie, my friend Robbie, who co-wrote, who co-wrote it with me and directed it, like every now and then, whenever we don't know what to say, so one of us will be like, anyway, here's Wonderwall. Oh, anyway, here's Wonderwall is one of the best memes of all time. I love anyway, here's Wonderwall. It's up there with like, sir, this is an Arby's. Oh, sir, this is, sir, this is an Arby's. Anyway, here's Wonderwall, brother. I love everything about putting yourself in a situation to be uncomfortable. I think a lot of people have to understand how important that is because most of life is pretty uncomfortable exteriorly. Interiorly, it could be just as uh, discomforting. 
because we deal with a lot of shit on our own. I think you should try to do stand up just once. I think you could do it. <sighs> if you've already written a show, so like Hero Worship, right? You wrote Hero Worship with a friend, right? But you were the only person that was in it. Yeah. I mean, other than the band. You've done stand up already. You could do it. Just take a bit from Hero Worship and just go do it at, at the cellar. Open mic. Yeah. Just run up. I'll hold a cue card in the back. We'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. Uh, you're like, how many of you are Broadway fans? Probably a lot. Listen, I get a laugh out of me. I love Broadway humor. You seem goal oriented. Where do you see yourself in the next year? Oh, man. The last 10 years have been not at all what I thought they were going to be in like not the best. I mean, some things great. Some things career wise. Absolutely. Like there are a couple of things where it's like five years ago, you would be so proud of you. And I'm like, I don't think she would. So I think, I mean, I'm hoping that this show that I'm about to do is good and comes in. And I would really just like to know what that like. I would like to be like doing a kind of very regular steady. What's harder, the show or the audition? Oh my God, auditioning is the worst. So do you have like an agent that like tells you like, hey, like this is what's going on? Oh yeah. I think I'd be more afraid of going to an audition than doing a stand-up set. Oh my God. Auditioning is because it's already like you don't know how much of yourself you can be. Like they're going to know the second you walk in whether or not they want you and I've had it happen where like the second I walk in and I'm like, I have a 30 page packet and I already know that you are not interested in me. And so we are going to go through the motions because I've worked on this, but wow, it sucks this energy. How often of the time can you tell? All of it. Damn. Okay. That's not necessarily true. Most of it. Like you can absolutely like watch them be like, I would love to look at my phone right now, but you're singing. (laughs) You know what I used to like to do like six or seven years ago? I would look up castings, like open casting calls for stuff that I just did not fit the profile. Because I used to think that casting calls were so weird. Because it'd be like, hey, look, you have to be six foot white this. So I'm like, I'm five nine, fat and Spanish. I was like, I'm going to go to this thing. And I would just go, I would go to them. I would go to them and just be like, hey, listen, like, what's up? And then like go and read and like, no, I wasn't going to get it. But that's like how I practice like a lot of my stuff. It's just good practice. Just like everything else, it's just practice. That's the weirdest thing about acting to me. It's like when I watch a movie, right? And it's like, oh, there's a short fat guy in it. I'm like, this guy read to be a short fat guy. Or maybe he didn't. You know, that's the thing is like... It's kind of crazy. You go in for stuff all the time. If you read like the original breakdown and you're like, I don't know, am I actually right for this? And then you're the one who books it because you did something like... They thought they wanted this kind of person. And then you walked in and you changed their mind. It's just weird that like casting could be like that. It's like, hey, we need a Hispanic male. I know. I'm like, what the fuck? It's like, is this racist? They're like, what's going on here? Commercial auditions are especially the worst because they make you like you feel like you're being booked for jail. Like they make you take like pictures in front, pictures in profile, like hold your hands up as if you have blood on them. Like I could be literally anybody. Yeah. That's why I always thought it was just like, Hey, we need the happy white male. I'm like, Oh, okay. This is kind of like specific. It's like, but I get it. It's a little strange. What's the worst experience you ever had on stage? If you don't mind reliving it. I don't know if it's the worst, but it's certainly the cringiest. The show that I was doing in Las Vegas a million years ago was called peep show. I don't know. It was a whole bunch of different numbers like put together. And so I had my like number that I was featured in had, there were two of us. It was like, it was a sort of like nursery rhyme, like take off of whatever the thing. So each number had like, there was, so this particular number was like a three little pigs kind of situation. And so me and my sort of bookend in this number, I was the sticks and she was the straw. And then there was a magic trick and then the brick pig would come out. So we were in these absolutely stunning, like full couture tearaway gowns, like actual giant gowns that had like carabiners on the back. And we would like go behind a panel and then there would be three dressers back there pulling the carabiner because there was a big bad wolf who blew the house down. There were three runways on this set. And because of 
other numbers that happened later, there were uh, like divots in the runways so that like things could, so that like apparatus could come in and get like locked in. So they were a little bit springy and there were a lot of tracks in the stage. And normally like you're good about clocking tracks and not stepping in them and whatever. Except... I love all this theater terminology I'm learning today, by the way. I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I'm learning a lot. No, and also if I'm saying things, you're like, I don't know what the fuck that is. Throw a flag. And I will explain it. So we had like a thing in the choreography where we had to like go, you know, fully runway walking down the runway and then do a thing and then come back and then go behind the panel and whatever. And I got stuck in while walking because this is like a huge gown got stuck in some like mesh netting of the actual like dress part of the gown and then slipped on that and then got a heel stuck in the the track and fully face planted down the end of the runway. So like there were just people everywhere because there were like clubby tables. So like fully face planted in front of however many people were in there and then tried to do the thing where like I got up and the dress that was supposed to be like a magic trick was coming apart. So I was like trying to hold this dress together. Oh my God. It's just building up in my chest trying to stand up and like make it back up to the actual like main deck of the stage to be able to like do the rest of the number. And I couldn't get my legs under me and just like kept falling as I kept walking and like everything was falling apart. And it was so funny. But yeah, that's, that's, I think the cringe worthiest is like all like attempting to be sexy, like completely went out the window. And I was like, I'm going to just like pick up this dress and kind of like, tiptoe my way up and like hunched over <laughs> at least in some part in that story somebody has to go down oh my god you know it was, so it, this is what it is it was very funny that's a long story sorry your family being super accepting super awesome and i'm super jealous come on in what was it like for your uh husband's family it took them a minute to figure it out but he also wasn't a vet when we first started dating Okay. So we were together before he went to school and then all through him being in school. And then, so he was like working a crappy office job when we met. You were there before the success and don't let him ever forget. (laughs) I mean, it actually helped with him because then like me not being able to be at things helped them understand when he also then couldn't start to be at things. And for a while they were like, huh. And then all of a sudden they were like, oh, we're in show business now. Like, this is so fun. And they love it. My fiance is a physical therapist. Yeah. It's just like, you know, I get free work all the time, which is great. Like if my shoulder hurts, she knows exactly what's wrong with me. It was embarrassing for me at first to be like, what do you do for a living? And it's like, I love how people will always say like, oh, you make money doing that? Like you make a living? Like what else do you do? I'm like, um, you're disrespecting me. Like a million things. Like I contain multitudes. Come at me. Yeah. It's just like, tell me something I don't do at this point. But I feel like in entertainment, it's like we kind of have to have this idea that no one's going to understand our lifestyle. And I don't expect them to, but it's like, you know, we feel very lonerish. Like we start out alone with just the way we want to express ourselves in terms of how we work. It takes a lot of guts to do what you do. I hope you know that. And I hope you give yourself a pat on the back when it comes to those things. Okay, thanks. The thing we always say in my family is like, whenever anybody's making plans is you make the plans and then you say, I hope you can. I hope you can't. A little jealous of your family here. I mean, we're very, we're very open. Come on in. You can. My parents were very accepting. Uh, I'm like, hey, listen, like I want to tell like fart jokes for a living. And you know, Thankfully, you know, um, you know, I, my nervous breakdown led me to doing what this show as well, but I do multiple shows. So like out of my nervous breakdown, I was able to do this amazing show where I get to talk to amazing people such as yourself and do this. But, you know, it took them a little while too. like I dropped out of college and they were like, what the hell's going on? And then, you know, they trusted the. I, I told them to just trust the process. And, uh, you know, they were very accepting at some point. But yeah, super jealous of your family. Listen, thank you so much for coming on today. Oh my God, this has been so much fun. I could talk to you for another two. We'll have you back on for sure. And you know, we'll get a, a, a deeper dive. But I'm going to close with this question that I close every episode with. Are you happy today? Today, yeah. I had things to do, like talk to nice people. There you go. There you go. I've, I think I've, in the history of the show, I've been doing it for like, two, like almost, yeah, I guess two years now. 
only gotten one, not really. And I respected the shit out of it. I said, you know what? You're not putting on. I like it. Listen, again, thank you so much for coming on. Listen, I know you don't like promoting yourself, but where can people find you on the internet? And where can people find you performing, if not now or soon? You can basically anywhere that there is a a place to find me, you can probably find me at Nika Lands, N-I-K-K-A-L-A-N-Z, and in all of those places that you think there are. I am an extremely online person, so like I am I'm around. Love the internet. I love, I love the, internet. the internet. I love the internet so much. I love the internet so fucking much. The internet and I grew up together, you know? How old are you? I'm 38. You're 38? I am. I am. I said 28. Thank you. Tell everyone. I will. <laughs> Let me tell you something. After 25, I stopped keeping count. That's because you're not a woman in show business. You know... As we were talking about like, hey, you know what's like really hard when it's like they want a tall white male for a show? And then it's like, hey, dude, try being a lady. Yeah. Have you ever lied about your age? No, because if you're around long enough, people remember. Ultimately, like if you can reasonably do the things that people are asking you to do, it almost doesn't matter. Well, you don't look 38. I'll give you that. Thank you. All right. I feel 58 most of the time, but uh, I'm 33. I don't know how you do it. I mean, I'm so f- like fascinated by people that do Broadway and people that are actors. It's probably the most fascinating world that you can be in. It really is. It's kind of nice to remember that because I spend so much time like dealing with the labor side of it. Yeah. And like trying to convince the world that like what we do is a job and we are workers and please see us as that. That sometimes you're like, no, it's actually like, yeah, it's also pretty cool. That's why, like I said, even with COVID, I was just so happy that you guys were like, you guys are out of work for so long. And then like when I heard Broadway was going back, I was like, I'm going to a show because I have to support. I'm going. I'm going. I'm going to the New York City Ballet in like two weeks. Oh, that's awesome. Love New York City Ballet. Super lit. Super lit. But yes, guys, Nika Graf. Lanzaroni. She's going to get mad that I said it like that, but I had to say it. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. You are welcome back anytime. Thank you. Best of luck uh, with your future endeavors. And then uh, I will have to come see you in a show. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Off the Cuff presented to you by 101 Life. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and send us some love with a review. And don't forget, We're all in this together, and you're never alone. Peace. Fate Entertainment.